Welcome to Grant Thornton's Navigating the New Normal podcast series. My name's Velvet Bell Templeman, and I'm here talking to Neil Cook and Jonathan Mathers, financial advisory partners at Grant Thornton, specialising in IPOs. Today, we're talking about the Australian stock market and COVID-19. Thanks so much for joining us, Neil and Jonathan. Thank you. Thank you very much. Now, Neil, I'm going to start with a pretty basic question for you. Wouldn't this be a stupid time to list on the ASX or really on any exchange? From day to day, the market always seems to be changing. I don't consider it a stupid time to consider a listing. You've seen the ASX have been tracking Wall Street and some of the larger tech stocks like Apple and Facebook have had a bit of a correction, clearly overvalued. But we also know that there are a lot of stocks that were doing well before COVID-19 that will continue to do well post-COVID-19. In addition to tech, I'm surprisingly, we've got health and e-commerce stocks, which are very attractive to investors. We're in a low interest rate environment, so investors are putting cash into equities. And overall, there's a lot of investor demand for good businesses, with a significant pipeline of IPOs slated for quarter four of this year. I also think it's just dangerous to draw a parallel to the GFC. It's different now. It's not a broken financial services sector. It's a health pandemic that we're dealing with. That's interesting. And how different is this to what you've been seeing in the lead up to COVID, Jonathan? Well, yeah, so just generally in terms of the ASX activity, there's been a downward trajectory in the number of new IPOs throughout 2018 and 2019. Let us put a bit of colour around that. In the three-year period of 2015 and 2017, there was over 150 new ASX listings per year in each of those three years. And what we saw in, in 2019 was just over 90 new IPOs But what was interesting about 2019 was that there was a a large rush in December. Close to one-fifth of the total IPOs in 2019 happened in December. And this was predominantly in the tech, fintech, healthcare and resource company space. And it was also largely weighted to the small and mid-cap IPOs. So we're saying sub-500 million type of market cap. This trend continued in Q1 of 2020 as well. So more of the smaller mid-cap IPOs and, and larger predominantly tech healthcare, fintech and resource space as well. Um, I know just anecdotally speaking, it felt like Neil and I were were out visiting new companies every week in January and February who were looking at an IPO prior to June or earlier uh, or before Christmas this year. Now, there are some commonalities there. Investors were and continue to place their dollar in health and fintech. How would you describe the Australian investor? I think the Australian investors looking for businesses which have navigated or benefited from COVID-19. So, for example, alternate lenders are quite attractive. You've had the recent listing of Layby and the upcoming listing of Plenty. I think online businesses are attractive as well. And any business that really does not rely on travel or immigration is, uh, is quite attractive to Australian investors. I think one of the buzzwords at the moment is digital adoption or adaption. And you've seen the inability to travel and people's time at home has really accelerated the use of the internet for basic services and e-commerce. So they're the kind of businesses that are quite attractive to to investors looking to deploy capital. Yeah, I agree with that. There's a lot of demand coming up now in, in the online retail space, tech, fintech, SaaS businesses, there's still quite a strong pipeline of companies looking to IPO. In the resources space, the metallurgical assets as opposed to energy is is getting some good headwind there. And 
One thing that's been pretty interesting that's popped up in the last few weeks in our pipeline is, is a few clean energy assets. So, again, moving away from your traditional energy sources to clean energy. So, might see some movement in that space over the next 12, 18 months as well. Now, surely, even for hot businesses, listing must be risky in this current environment. How do you create confidence for a successful IPO? Well, I think it's the same with any, I suppose, transformational event in a business or any major transaction. And, and the key is preparation, making sure all your ducks are, are lined up prior to embarking on, on the journey. So that's making sure your legal documentations are in place, you have the right policies in place, the audits are all squared away. Just from our experience, even outside of the COVID environment, companies that are going through the cleaning up process in the middle of an RPO generally have a more costly drawn out RPO process, whereas those that had focused their time prior to embarking on the process on getting everything squared away has a more smoother run. I think one thing that's interesting about the current environment is there's going to be certain windows where it is going to be quite beneficial to IPO and others where it's not going to be beneficial. And I think that's what we've seen in the, in the last few months. When COVID hit mid-March, you know, every deal that we were working on effectively halted, including the IPOs. And when you look at the September pipeline on the ASX website, there's a good 10 or 11 companies looking to hit the markets in the next few weeks. Um, all 10 or 11 of those would not have halted during the onset of COVID. They might have slowed down the process, but they would have kept on, you know, making sure that the stories were, were clear, making sure that the prospectus was still being prepared. So I think in this kind of environment, even if you really do want to IPO and have a successful listing, if the markets aren't quite there, you don't need to stop the process fully. You can still just maybe slow things down, but keep things moving so that you're able to, when the markets do stabilise and improve, get a deal away, a successful deal away quite quickly. So the only thing I'd add to that is I think the fundamentals haven't changed. I mean, you, you need a well-articulated business model and good management and board. I think one of the, the current environment's impacts, though, is that companies and vendors need to have realistic valuation expectations. And you've seen the, the heat in the technology sector being driven out of the U.S., and that, that's really pushing up some, some valuation. So I think it's just taking a bit more of a step back and having a, a long-term view. What we're also seeing, just to provide some confidence to investors, is also companies are still including forecasts, but certainly for a shorter period. So it gives a view of current trading beyond your audited history, but it's very difficult to forecast in the current environment. So having a shorter forecast period still gives a view of the future, but it also meets all of the regulatory guides that people are familiar with. Now, I was reading an article a while back that was talking about the ASX targeting overseas companies to list in Australia. What's that all about? Yes, that's a good question. So the ASX over the last few years has has been embarking on a fairly significant marketing campaign targeting overseas companies. And they performed roadshows throughout, you know, Silicon Valley in the States, Israel and Ireland. And one, I guess, common factor of in all of those three jurisdictions is their technology hubs. So there's been a real big push by the ASX to be seen as, as a global source of capital for high growth technology businesses. And again, earlier this year, the ASX launched the ASX 200 Technology Index to further cement that image to the global market that, yes, we're a significant player in, in tech capital. And, and if you're a high growth tech business, you, you want to try to list on the ASX. I think the ASX has also taken advantage of the current situation. So 
I mean, we're looking at physical borders are closed, but if you're a technology or a global business, you're very attractive to, to Australian investors. You don't necessarily have to have that bricks and mortar style connection to Australia in the current environment. So I think the ASX is doing a really good job in really setting out Australia as a, a liquid market and also a good target for companies who really want to be playing on the global stage. So let's talk about the ASX then. Why would you list here as opposed to the NASDAQ or FTSE? I think for, from a following point of view, a lot of companies are earlier stage. Um, and if you list on NASDAQ or the FTSE, you'll just get lost amongst all the other companies. Also, there's a lot of companies that are a bit too small for those, those exchanges. I think with the ASX, you've got very strong retail investor base. They're very knowledgeable and Arguably, you sometimes can get a high valuation on the ASX compared to some of the over these exchanges. We just look a bit more closer to home around the region. You're looking at places like Hong Kong, Singapore, really cost prohibitive to list there. And also, when we look at NASDAQ and the FTSE, to, to maintain a listing can also be cost prohibitive. So I think the ASX has really set itself out to be a liquid market, which is cost effective, but still has the same governance. Yeah, that's, that's a good point. You know, there's been quite a, a number of successful overseas-based IPOs in, in the recent history. Some examples include Limeade, which is an employee experience software business. They, they raised $100 million in December last year at a market cap of just under $500 million. Nitro, another software business, listed in December 19 with a market cap of $325 million, raised $110. Sezzle, another overseas-based business, a July listing raising 43 million. So these are not again massive IPOs, but in that mid market space, and probably would not have got the traction that they would over their home jurisdictions. I know it's hard to predict the future of the ASX. People have made and lost fortunes in the attempt, but if we take what we know about the ASX and how it wants to position itself in the future, and our experiences from recessions in the past, what do you think we might see in the next two to five years? It's very difficult to have a crystal ball in the in the current environment. It's hard to predict, as we all admit, we're only sort of six months into COVID-19 and how long that lasts, nobody knows. But I think in Australia, there's a significant amount of capital to be deployed. And so as long as the investor confidence is maintained, people will just get used to this as a new normal. And there should be a continued pipeline of IPOs and pretty strong market. I think with our superannuation system and also you've got a lot of people sitting at home, the day traders, playing the stock market. So that really keeps the market liquid, keeps prices arguably overinflated at times. But certainly there is significant capital to be deployed um, and a lot of people have got superannuation sitting in, in cash where obviously you're not getting a return that you would get on an equities market. So, yeah, as I say, it's, it's difficult to predict. I wouldn't be doing this job if if I could predict accurately. But I think certainly uh, what we're seeing is I think as long as the confidence stays with the market, there should be sufficient pipeline for for investors. Yeah, I agree. I agree with what Neil is saying. I mean, the one thing that makes this very different is when you compare it to the GFC, which was the broken financial services sector. I mean, this this recession we're in is a global health pandemic. So the economy was quite buoyant before that. And at the moment, it's, it's proven to be quite resilient, I feel. So, yeah, as Neil said, if, if we knew where the markets were heading, we probably wouldn't be 
here at this point, but yeah, it'll be interesting to see what happens over the next few years. Neil and Jonathan, thank you for your time. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. You can find further information on how COVID-19 might affect your business and assistance is available to you on the Grant Thornton COVID-19 hub at www.grantthornton.com.au forward slash COVID-19. If you liked this podcast and would like to hear more, you can find and subscribe to Grant Thornton Australia on iTunes, Spotify or SoundCloud. I'm Velvet Bell Templeman and you're listening to Boardroom Media.